This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast, a podcast where we connect the dots between the things that matter in your everyday holy life. What does it look like to love God and live an ordinary life well? What does that look like for where you go to church or where you send your kids to school or how you interact online? Do you need a bit of help to connect the dots? I'm glad to start the conversation. I'm Ashley Hales, your host and author of the new book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. I've enjoyed chatting with guests about our digital lives and how to be neighborly in a big city. And in this interview, we continue on our conversations surrounding place and belonging. In episode four, I sit down with Bronwyn Lee. Bronwyn Lee is originally from South Africa and brings a unique perspective to American listeners, not just on America, but on the ways the places we live shape our lives. Here's why you should listen. In this interview, we talk about not simply consuming our places, but belonging to them and what that looks like in everything from school choices to choosing to stay put in our local churches. Bronwyn is chock full of wisdom. Here's a bit about her. Bronwyn Lee is an author, speaker, activist, and most recently editorial curator for Propel Sophia. She loves Jesus puns, her home country of South Africa, her adopted country of the U.S., her endlessly patient husband, her three goofy kids, wisdom and justice, seeing women thrive in the kingdom, and quality ice cream in no particular order. Stick around. You'll find some helpful questions for you to begin to take your next step towards belonging to your own place. Here's my interview with Bronwyn. Well, I'm super excited because today we have my friend Bronwyn Lee on the podcast. So welcome, Bronwyn. Hi, Ashley. It's lovely to have you. Bronwyn and I met quite a few years back. Uh, we are in the same Redbud Writers Guild, so it's wonderful to be able to have this conversation in virtual time and space. <laughs> Bronwyn is a writer. Um, she's a fantastic thinker and Bible teacher. She's a mom. She's a wife. She is a smart cookie. And I am really excited because one thing I really wanted to talk about as we think about finding holy, we're trying to think about connecting the dots between the things that matter and our everyday holy lives. And Bronwyn, she wears so many different hats. And it's wonderful for me too, as we consider place and space this first season to talk with Bronwyn because she is originally not from America. So I would love for her to just tell maybe, tell us a little bit about your story, where you're from, where are you now? How'd you get here? What's that like? Thanks for that invitation. Um, I am, well, I've lived in the States now for almost 15 years. So my accent has morphed over time. It's not as strong as it used to be, but I was born and bred in South Africa, um, various parts of South Africa. I get asked quite frequently if I'm from England or Australia. Mm -hmm. No, neither. (laughs) But another one of the places in 
uh, that used to be under the kind care of the queen. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now that we've all watched The Crown, we're <laughs> Yes, with all of the little asterisks that go along with colonial living. Yes. Um, yes, and so I uh, lived in South Africa, went to college or university, as we called it there, mm. in Cape Town, um, went to law school and seminary in Cape Town, met and married my South African husband. And then pretty soon after we got married, he decided that he really did actually want to finish that PhD that he had had his eye on and um, got an opportunity to do that in California where he had already done some graduate school mm-hmm. work. So as a newlywed, I uh, packed up my bags and quit my job in vocational ministry where I was doing women's work in my city church and uh, followed my new husband to the United States, to a place I had never been to before mm-hmm. as a newlywed. Mm-hmm. And we settled down, planning to be here for just three years so that he could finish his PhD. And uh, now is the time where you can just like laugh uproariously at the idea <laughs> of completing a PhD in three years. Right. Who does that? <laughs> no, it took me about a decade. <laughs> um, and we have been here now for 14 years. Um, yeah. He finished his PhD a long time ago, but uh, life is unexpected and Mm. things changed and context changed and Mm -hmm. children were born and extended family moved around and God saw fit to uh, relocate us Mm. um, in Mm. a pretty significant way. And Mm. so we are here, well, I wouldn't say permanently, but we are here indefinitely because who knows Right. will be permanently apart from with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I would love for you to talk. I, I remember, so I, I went to grad school in Scotland and I worked at this teeny little French cafe and there were a bunch of folks from Australia, from South Africa um, that would, you know, be around for a summer. And so I met this young South African man there and he, I remember we were cleaning up at one night and he wrote on this napkin, the kind of the geography of Cape Town and how it kind of fashioned a people. And it was absolutely fascinating to me. I was, you know, I was a foreigner and a foreign land. Um, And just to hear someone else's experience about how the geography, particularly of Cape Town, kind of affected the culture. I'm wondering if you could just speak briefly about that before we maybe think about how that has affected you as a transplant from uh, South Africa. Hmm. Well, the the social and political geography of Cape Town is... um, well outside of my realm of expertise, but I did live in Cape Town for 10 years. And um, Cape Town is an interesting city because it is kind of bordered almost on three sides by ocean. Mm. And there is this long peninsula with like a T-bone shaped stake mountain mm-hmm. perched right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, People live all the way along the edge of the mountain on this long, narrow strip between the sea and the mountain. Mm. Um, And you can't really get across very easily. And then there's this large Cape Flat area, which is not um, arable and has water difficulties, which is just very obviously a worse place to populate. Mm -hmm. And then I think that mixed with South Africa's economic um, mm-hmm. and political history of apartheid, mm-hmm. um, some of that distribution of desirable versus undesirable places to land absolutely happened along racial lines mm-hmm. um, in ways that were very polarizing and difficult to mesh. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of those happened along language lines. So in the white community, there are white English-speaking parts of Cape Town 
and Afrikaans speaking mm-hmm. parts of Cape Town and within the black communities, there also were some language differentials. Um, um, so, it's complex. Right. That I think we can think of our geography, particularly in newer spaces or, you know, um, newly created spaces as something that we don't even have to think about. But I think you just even in that brief sketch of Cape Town, it's it's showing how place and space cannot and language and culture and politics and race and belief cannot be untangled from the places that we actually live in. Absolutely. And I think it presents some very significant challenges to building diverse communities Mm -hmm. because um, there are, there's proximity privilege Mm -hmm. that goes along with who has access to Mm -hmm. get to certain places and wherever Mm -hmm. it is you pick as a meeting place already has um, a bunch of cultural expectations uh, is much easier for some people to get to than others. And mm. so you're almost self-selecting um, a mm-hmm. crowd by distance mm-hmm. by picking any place. Mm-hmm. And so one of the challenges I think for building multi-ethnic schools, communities and churches has been, how do you do that when people are so far flung, when access is difficult um, because belonging, mm-hmm. you can't just belong together. Right. Like the, the place definitely affects how you get there. Is it served by public transport? Can you drive? Do people Mm -hmm. have cars? What language will you speak when you get there? Those Mm. are significant challenges. Mm. And it sounds like from your own experience, even in California, you're dealing with some of those same topics. Would you want to comment on that as far as I know you send your kids to a a Spanish immersion school? How does that kind of fit into some of those larger themes? Um, We have landed up in a college town in California, which is pretty homogenous, I think, Mm -hmm. in its culture, even Mm. if it isn't in its ethnicity. But Mm. it's a very academic and privileged space. Um, And I think with the diversity in my husband and my background, we were really wanting some um, broader cultural exposure for our Mm -hmm. children. We value multilingualism. We come Mm -hmm. from a country that speaks 11 official languages. Mm. And there is, um, I think that there are some definite advantages to coming from multilingual spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there are like brain development and language advantages. But I also think that there are some humility advantages Mm. that come from living in a place with um, a variety of languages because you just can't presume that everyone will speak your language. Exactly. Or that yours is the best. Right. And, you know, and so like learning a different language like neurologically requires you to already just be aware that there's another way of thinking about a thing. There's another mm-hmm. way of saying a different right. thing. Yeah, it, opens up, it opens up for you to be more empathetic and to understand that there's multiple perspectives and right. that becomes kind of pre-wired in your head. Right. And we are white people, you know, and we are, my children are American citizens and they um, have educated parents who own a home, you know, mm-hmm. so they have, they have the world of privilege attached to them, but we really did not want them to go into the world and just presume that everybody would relate to them on their terms, in their Mm. currency, in Mm. their language and speak Mm. them. We wanted them to have something to offer Mm. other cultures. And we wanted also for them to have the experience of being uh, the learner and the less understood in the classroom. And so um, our best opportunity to do that for where we live was a Spanish school um, because that is the second language of the, mm-hmm. a, a number of the communities around us. And we mm-hmm. wanted them to be able to build real relationships where there isn't the significant language power differential at play. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and thought that that would be like good from a character point of view. And we also really hope from a kingdom um, mm -hmm. point of view. Mm -hmm. And so we, although neither of us speak Spanish and it makes helping with math homework a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have our kids in a Spanish immersion school. And um, I mean, it's just school, right? Right. Like, there's all the regular stuff that goes along. Right. With With they just are school. right learning yeah. another language and a culture. And how has that affected kind of the culture of your family? Um, just those practical day in and day out. Have you been able to meet new friends or learn some Spanish yourself? Or what has allowed you to feel like that you can belong to your place in a more diverse way than simply, you know, just settling your children off for this experience? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great question. I had really hoped we would learn some Spanish or that I would learn some Spanish out of it. Um, and basically, I just have an old calcified brain right. compared to my children who <laughs> yep. are sponges and Um, my kindergartners, you know, well, when my son finished kindergarten, he already could speak much more Spanish than I could. And I've mm -hmm. been assisting with reading and homework for five or six years. Right. <laughs> and that's just, yeah, I think that's just the function of, you know, 20, 30 hours a week in that environment yes. with a very young, malleable, absorbent brain. Right. Um, so I would not say that our house has absorbed much or our home has absorbed mm -hmm. much uh, Latina culture. Mm -hmm. However... However, I think that there are two ways in which this experience has broadened our participation in our place. Mm. Uh, one of them is that our kids really are capable of building friendships where we are not. Mm. Mm -hmm. you know? And so we got to take a family trip to Costa Rica a couple of years ago and our kids could talk to the locals. Mm -hmm. you know? And that was a beautiful thing. They are able to translate. They're able, you know, mm -hmm. if there are work crews around for them to kick a ball around with other kids and mm -hmm. beautiful to see them have that capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and they're extending themselves and even serving you as their parents. And so again, you're kind of breaking down some of that power differential as well between I, parents I think and that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, the flip side of that is that they are all now conversant in Spanish uh, enough to uh -oh. um to plot <laughs> right to plot mutiny <laughs> at the dinner table in our presence and right and the wiser <laughs> and uh so our ability to curtail them from saying um rude things in another language right is, yeah i don't i don't know right. they, they have a secret spanish club and they can wield <laughs> their power for good or for evil right <laughs> <laughs> and gosh, we hope it will be for good. So oh. in the one way, they, they have their own little belonging that mm -hmm. they get to mm -hmm. participate in. Mm -hmm. um, I think for us as parents, there is the more general belonging to a community of fellow parents, regardless mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. And so we lived, have lived in this town now for 14 years. And we at first participated as... Um, as nomadic transitory graduate student people, mm -hmm. always expecting the day that we would haul out our moving boxes again and right. get going. Mm -hmm. And so there's something very sweet about uh, participating in transitional communities and you kind of make the most of it day right. to day. Mm -hmm. um, and we lived that way in the graduate student space for five or six years. Um, and then when our children came along, we kind of transitioned to the more permanent community mm -hmm. in our city mm -hmm. of people who had put down longer roots and mm -hmm who we weren't just going to see for a year or two, but who we would probably see all the way through elementary school. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
the way that we have participated has changed, mm. you know, like mm-hmm. getting involved in the PTA, getting involved in more longer term concerns, like uh, what will we do about the traffic around mm-hmm. the local elementary school? Mm-hmm. That was not something we could afford to engage in when we thought we were going to be there for right. one or two years. But if we're going to be good citizens of the place we're living in, mm-hmm. we need to participate with a longer timeline um, and with a community that's moving in that direction. And so mm. I feel like our agency as citizens has changed mm. um, yes. with our participation in public school. Mm. And so what has that um, staying put look like for you as far as like a, a spiritual discipline that God may be inviting you into and that transition from, you know, we're here and we're consuming kind of this graduate school experience to we are going to be participatory in the life of this community and the public school system, what does that look like for you kind of as a practical spiritual discipline? Um, Maybe one, if you wanted to answer in terms of, you know, how God has worked in your own heart and life in that way, but maybe even like the whole point of finding Holy podcast here is to try to help us move some of these larger themes and ideas Mm -hmm. into the realm of the practical. So maybe even if there's one little takeaway that you might offer our listeners to think about, where to start with some of those larger, <laughs> <laughs> larger themes that I'm sure you and I could sit and talk about all day. But um, I do hope that we can think about, you know, what does it look like for staying put to work out in our everyday Wednesday? Or what does it look like um, to, to be present or to, you know, show up to the PTA on a Friday when it feels <laughs> exhausting and you just want to run and hide? I don't speak for personal experience, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that, um, a large part of the spiritual discipline of staying put for me has looked like not leaving Mm -hmm. and, uh, that doesn't feel profound. Nope, but but, it's true. But the choice to stay engaged with, um, flawed relationships in, Mm. uh, hurting situations, whether that be in our local church or in our neighborhood community, Mm. um, choosing to stay Mm -hmm. is sometimes what love has looked like Mm. to stay engaged and not to quit, not to go church shopping, not to think, Oh gosh, I'm going to try a a different neighborhood school or Mm -hmm. I'm done with this Mm -hmm. committee. Mm. So some of it has just been internally, um, committing. Yeah. Choosing to stay, mm-hmm. um, and I and wouldn't. What does thought, that look like? Kind of worked out practically for you? Yeah. <laughs> Besides, just like <laughs> not leaving, um, right? I, I actually think not leaving is very, very practical. It because, is, yes. Because like the desire to leave is strong sometimes mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're just you're just done, right? Yeah. Just mm-hmm. feel done with this mm-hmm. particular situation, and we get compassion fatigue and um, yes. patience fatigue and uh, we want to bail. Like surely yep. it would be easier to just start fresh over. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the neighborhood over. Um, mm. And so praying through some of those longer term frustrations and relationships and uh, seeking the good of a city mm. has felt like something we need to choose to do. Mm. So for example, um, my husband and I, love to have people in our home. We have very few common interests. He and I have very few <laughs> things. We, we read different books. We like different movies. He likes to backpack. I really like climate control. Yeah. You know, like we, <laughs> we, are, we are not cut from the same cloth, but right. one of the things we really do love to do together 
um, is to have people over in our home mm, mm. Um, for different reasons. He mm-hmm. is an, a really good cook. I am a proficient cook, um, mm-hmm. but he's excellent. Um, and we love to have people in our home being happy together. And for the mm. longest time, that has felt like something we do for our church. Yeah. You know, as much as we have capacity or space to do so. And certainly when we had very little children and bedtime was our daily nemesis, there was not a lot we could do in the evenings. Yeah. And, and as our kids are getting a little older, our capacity for doing that has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to think about how we not just have our church friends over, but our immediate neighbors. Yes. The, the house of rowdy drunken college students who live next door to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are no particular names named because we have lived next to many houses filled with <laughs> rowdy college students. Right, yeah. You know, and it's yeah. easy, I think, when one lives in a suburb um, mm-hmm. with residential people for you to... There's a, there's a cultural narrative that says, uh, oh, the students are transitional and they're pariahs and we just um, we just we ignore them. them. We just on. ignore yeah. them and we mm-hmm. move on. Mm-hmm. And we try not to call the cops on them too often. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we try to have those students over mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. get to know them, to get to know their names. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our over-the-road neighbors over and mm-hmm. our elderly neighbors over and we're trying to be intentional about making space mm. for our actual neighbors mm-hmm. in hospitality, which happens right. to be something we can do and we right. like to do. Mm-hmm. We're just thinking a little bit more broadly about what yes. that looks like. Right. Yes. And just choosing to engage the people that God has put right in front of you and not mm-hmm. just the person that you know you might deeply connect with or identify with. And, you know, we love, we've come to really love our neighbors. Mm. We really have come to love our neighbors Mm -hmm. and they are very different and in a different life stages, different religions, Mm -hmm. um, different ethnicities, different all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've come to appreciate them. And when we moved to our current house from our previous one, um, our our biggest sadness was that we weren't going to bump into Mm-hmm. our neighbors anymore. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like we spent, you know, any regular time with them, but there's just some uh, deep joy in mm-hmm. knowing the names of the people that you see every night when you get out of your car. Yeah. Hey, how are you? You know, keeping an eye on one another. Right. And it took some time to build that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was deeply, uh, deeply encouraging to us. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree. And the, the challenge of, you know, wanting to pull out and start over, right, is that you lose that opportunity for connection um, when, when you bail. And yet there's something really beautiful and painful um, in staying put, for sure. Yes. Yes. So tell me the role um, for you guys as well about this idea of staying put or being present to your place or belonging to your place that the local church has had for you guys. Um, you know, my husband and I came from a small reformed Anglican church in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So African Anglican, which mm-hmm. did not look or feel at all like the Episcopalian um church where we landed here even though that was the closest in name Mm -hmm. and we had a wonderful pastor and just I had been yeah he and I had both spent time at the seminary there and so it was really close Mm -hmm. and then we landed in a town which seemed to have very few bible believing churches and um and none of them looked like anything we we recognized really Mm. um and we also didn't have a car (laughs) (laughs) what we could actually get to was a big deal right um and we landed up at a large-ish baptist church Mm -hmm. um 
which felt just so American and polished yeah. compared to the little pastoral flock that we'd had before. Mm-hmm. And, and with every shift in church community, there's a change in language. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so it's not just if you're at an immersion school. <laughs> not if you're just, you know, but just the, so much of the way we test people's Christian orthodoxy is mm-hmm. by the way they use the Christian buzzwords. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, do they talk about the gospel right. in the same way? Do they use right. the right words about the Bible? And, right. and just the vocabulary of faith was a little different. And so mm-hmm. it took a while for us to discern whether these were our people mm-hmm. um, and what people meant by things. So, uh, to give you a little example of yes. um, the the steep learning curve of belonging, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had thrown my lot in to serve the college ministry when we arrived. And uh, I was, went to one of the early meetings and they were talking about having a Greek Bible study. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked mm. if I would be willing to help lead a Greek Bible study. Oh, I have a feeling where this is going. <laughs> and I thought I did Greek. I did right. Greek at seminary, yeah. but it's Koine yeah. Greek and I can't speak it. And I so <laughs> backpedaled. And I was also thinking, but I haven't seen any Greek Orthodox churches. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen many Greek restaurants. Where are these Greek people? And All how right. much Greek do I need to be able to speak? Wow. It yeah. Took a little while for someone to say, that's the sorority and fraternity system. <laughs> People about <laughs> because they're all named for Greek letters yeah, yeah, and yeah, I felt yeah. like a complete oh, right. Oh, 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 that's what Greek means. So did you do the Bible study? <laughs> no, I did not. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> someone who actually knew what a Greek Bible study was right. took that on. That's probably wise. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so we, we joined this, you know, this Baptist church, which mm-hmm. spoke a different language, but they they loved God and they were teaching the Bible and the people mm-hmm. were generous to us. And mm. so we put down roots there and uh, we've been through a whole lot with mm-hmm. that church. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have chosen to stay. And we have I chosen think... to stay and they have loved us through some very mm. painful, scary parts of our story. Mm. And we have been hurt and I'm sure we have, I know we have hurt people, um, mm. but <sighs> yeah. But God loves this beautiful, broken thing Mm. called the church. Mm. Amen. He loves it. And learning to love it in its bruised Mm. brokenness has been a a crucible for us of faith. Mm. Because Mm. honestly, I don't think it would be that different in any other local church we threw Mm -hmm. our weights in with. No, no. I tell you, it's like that here. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we, (laughs) we moved here to start a church a few years ago and... Choosing to stay and to not cut and run when things are hard or you're falsely accused or, you know, you've hurt people Mm -hmm. just by virtue of being human um, is a load to bear, except for knowing that Jesus loves his bride. He loves his church. And so I am called to love this body, this broken body, just like you're saying too, Mm -hmm. and to lay myself down for it and know that Jesus will be sweeter. That's always my prayer. Jesus, would you be sweeter than Mm -hmm. my present circumstances? I was going to say, amen. That's, oh, that's yeah. so the truth. And we are now, you know, 14 plus years mm. stuck. <laughs> stuck. Rooted, <laughs> depending on the day. Right. Rooted, rooted yes. in this church. But the beautiful, beautiful fruit of that is that um, we are loved. I am loved, warts and all, for mm. who I really am. Mm. Like, there is no pretending anymore mm-hmm. to be someone impressive or amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm going to be loved, it is with all of my mm. in-process parts, with all of my history. And there is this community of people 
who we have traveled a long way with, who know mm. the names of my children, who mm-hmm. were there when they were born, who grieved when we, when we lost a baby, mm-hmm. you know, who have prayed us through visa crisis and through visa crisis. And we just, we've come a long way. And mm. there is no substitute for that you know, we've had people arrive in town and we have like new graduate students over and they ask you know how did you find people where did you find people and I honestly don't know mm. what our experience in the city would be like were it not for our church family who have mm-hmm. loved us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh what a beautiful and hard story and it, so if you if you as we kind of close could maybe think about is there one practical step that you might encourage our listeners uh, to stay put, whether it's in church or place, like what have you told yourself in those hard moments where you do want to cut and run? What has kept you grounded? You know, sometimes I wanted to cut and run and I couldn't because our, our visas didn't allow us to. So <laughs> <laughs> God, has, God has made us. God will stay. use whatever it takes. Yeah. Your question assumes some choice. And right. Sometimes yeah. I haven't right. Had any right. And sometimes there's beauty in that as well. Yes. I think, um, I think processing things with God in private mm. has been very important for me to continue to go back into my community. Mm-hmm. And the reason that uh, maybe that's a no brainer for a lot of people, but I am a verbal processor and mm-hmm. I am um, a people person. And so the temptation for me when I come into situations of conflict is to really hash it out with people and with my right. mm-hmm. And sometimes that's helpful. And sometimes it really isn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because conversation can fuel all sorts right. of discontent. Sometimes mm-hmm. we are just, you know, instead of working through our differences, we are just heaping, right. heaping fuel onto a flame <laughs> or just like pooling our ignorance right. about a situation. Right. And so trying to practice the discipline of going first to God and telling him what I'm sad and mad about and Mm -hmm. trying to invite him to speak to what he would have me do right now. Mm, Is this something he would have me say something about? Is this something just between him and me? Mm. Do I need to be quiet? Mm -hmm. And I really don't do this well. I really don't do this well (laughs) with any Mm. kind of regularity Mm. or faithfulness. But when I do, Mm. it has been a huge bomb to my To mm-hmm. my antsy soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sort of there, is, there is a gentling hand of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. who has a longer term view and a broader plan mm-hmm. than my immediate crisis. And when I am able to be still and process some of the stuff with God, I sometimes feel like, gosh, okay, I don't need an immediate triggered response. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to mm-hmm. give me grace for today and grace mm-hmm. for tomorrow. And sometimes next week, I feel a lot less intense about this beforehand. Oh, that's great. And I'm going to write down some of those questions and we'll put them in the show notes because I think that's really helpful. Um, and then lastly, I like to ask everybody on the Finding Holy podcast what their laundry routine is. And the reason for that is we've had some really funny and good responses too about laundry because I think, you know, if we can't figure out how the gospel of Jesus somehow relates to our everyday, whether it's cooking or laundry or washing up, then like, what are we doing? You know, it becomes just this mental mind game, this idea that faith is only something that we assent to, but doesn't have any kind of practical outworkings in our bodies. So I would love to hear your laundry routine, Bronwyn. 
Oh, routine sounds like something I one know. does regularly and with rhythm. And right. just three days ago, I washed the same set of linen for the third time because, because I kept on left for, it. forgetting to take it out of the washer. Mm-hmm. And you would think that after all of this time, I would quit making this mistake. But no. No. Nope. Um, uh, what is my laundry routine? Is this just something that has to be kind of rehashed that you hate? Is it something that you find <laughs> enjoyable? Do you see God's redemption in, oh. <laughs> in your washing routine? You know, I, um, I have a friend who prays over her children as she folds their clothes. Oh, wow. See, that's my problem. I don't even fold clothes. And I am so not that holy. Mm-hmm. I do not pray over the folding of laundry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. There is no finding holy in that. In your laundry. Um, yes, <laughs> that won't be I, my next book. Don't worry. Let, let me say that I can track some spiritual growth and that I am less angry during laundry now. Well, than that's I good. Be. So maybe laundry can be, if you're listening, laundry may not be your thing, but it could be kind of your sanctification bar. So you could say, you know, at one point doing laundry, I was horribly angry and now I am less so. So God has been working in my life. Yeah. That's right. I used to do rage sorting and and now now I just sort. (laughs) There you go. Good. I love it. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Bronwyn, for sharing your life and your story. Um, Thank you for sharing. You have no longer done rage laundry. Um, Thank you for just encouraging us to get away, to process with Jesus our angsty souls and what does it look like to stay put and belong to a place. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Ashley. I so appreciate um, invitations for us to find holy in our daily lives. Mm. It's really helpful to have other people ask us questions that help us pay attention. Oh, good. Good. Well, thank you. It's been lovely. Thanks for sticking around. I loved what Bronwyn shared about staying put and learning to love her place. And so we're going to start with one very small practical step to help you connect the dots between everything we say about God, His church, and our places, and what we actually do during the week. Today, I'm simply inviting you to pray. And here are some questions to consider. Questions that Bronwyn brought up in the interview that help us as we pray. When you have an issue with someone or you're feeling antsy about staying put, can you start by processing things with God in private? Tell God what you're sad and mad about. Is this simply between God and you? Or do you need to speak out? Or do you need to be quiet? The Holy Spirit has a broader view than my immediate crisis. Secondly, I'm going to invite you in small ways to begin to imaginatively think about how you can practice hospitality, how you can make space for your actual neighbors so that we are not simply turned in on ourselves, but we are reaching out to the people on our actual street. One thing we've done in the Christmas season is simply invite people over for a Christmas open house. It's not fancy But instead, we ask everyone to show up with something from Trader Joe's. And it's been a place to laugh, to enjoy each other, and simply connect with our neighbors. Thank you so much for listening to the Finding Holy podcast. I hope it's been helpful for you to connect the dots between the things that really matter in your everyday holy life. I'd love it if you could subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review on iTunes so that other people can find us as well because 
things matter, but so does the laundry. Thanks for being here. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?